a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we have a community birth story. Actually, three birth stories, one student. Our student, Hannah Sarah, just had her third child seven weeks ago, and her pregnancies and births were really interesting, and I wanted to reach out and see if she would share them, and she's such a giving, amazing person that she agreed to do it. I like to include community birth stories as much as I can interweave into the mix of the other podcasts we do. I feel like oftentimes pregnant people are assaulted with negative birth stories. And while not every birth story has to be any sort of picture perfect experience, I think it's important to hear the other side, to hear someone that's gone through it recently and heard their struggles and see how they got to the other side, or maybe heard their struggles and see how they're still processing it. But just to take the fear out and hear more of the experience, more of the journey. And that's what Hannah Sarah does. And it's really exciting. And she's an amazing person. She's been with the studio for over five years. She has a five, oh, I think the other one's two and a seven week old. And she's just delightful. So I hope you enjoy my talk with Hannah Sarah Feistini. Before we get to that, I'm incredibly excited to announce I put together a mini course of four one-hour prenatal yoga center methodology classes. You can check that out on our website. And of course, I threw some other bonus things in there. I have a bonus ab video. I've got some of my favorite hand-picked podcasts and some blog articles and some apps that we love that can just continue to support and educate and enhance your birth and pregnancy experience. So you can check that out on our website, prenatal prenatalyogacenter.com. Also, if you have a moment, please run over to Stitcher or iTunes or wherever you're listening to your podcast from and leave, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find the podcast and listen. And then also we do have a donation page. So the podcast is truly a labor of love. And if it's within your means, a donation to keep it running would be grateful. But of course, maybe your contribution to the podcast is listening and adding to our community. And that's great too. All right. I've talked long enough. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Hannah Sarah. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. 
While Massimo's stork baby monitor is new, Massimo's signal extraction technology, or set to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo's set as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Massimo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hannah Sarah, I am so excited to talk to you. How are you this morning? Thank you. I'm well. I had an espresso shot, so should be a little more coherent than I normally am. <laughs> well, you have three kids, one being a seven-week-old, so community listening, just a heads up, the baby's actually latched, so we might hear some slurping, we might hear some crying, <laughs> we are juggling quite a bit. Well, I'm not. I'm just sitting here with my cat. You're juggling quite a bit. All right, so um, the reason that I wanted you on is because you've been a community member for quite some time. You've had, you're, first of all, you're also so a really happy person, so why not add some happiness to the conversation? Um, you generally come across always smiling. Even when you seem pissed off, you're still smiling. And you had some really, I mean, you had three interesting births and, and breach situations, so I thought, why not share this? So, yay, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor. I feel a little out of place. I'm not an expert. I only know my own experience and and I don't think it's particularly interesting for anyone but me. <laughs> well, no, I think but, it's important because um, if, if anyone else can learn from it, then that's great. And that's why I do these community stories. One, because we are so community-based. But two, I think we can learn from everyone's experience and mm -hmm. sharing it. And someone might have a similar experience or might learn something or may be overwhelmed by something and, and take something away. But more importantly, I think it's important to hear positive birth stories. I feel like mm -hmm. so much of our society is drawn to the negative. And I remember being pregnant and people would just want to tell me their horror stories. Yes. <laughs> like, so I feel like I felt like I was trapped down to tell me their horror stories. And I think it's just important to feed uh, this population with, you know, the whole, with the positive stories. So I guess mm -hmm. let's start with a little bit about you. Um, sure. I'm a working mom in Manhattan with three little kids. So enough said, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you're busy um, and you don't sleep. <laughs> I, I work in global health at UNICEF. And my husband and I met when we were both working in Geneva, Switzerland. That's so interesting. And um, my journey to motherhood has been very transformative. I guess whose hasn't? Um, and it actually has brought me a lot closer to holistic practices um, than I would have imagined prior. Um, though I think I bring a healthy dose of skepticism to both holistic and mainstream practices around birth and babies. And, well, let's talk uh, about has, that a little bit. So tell sure. me a little bit about, I guess, both the skepticism and what you ended up gravitating towards in a holistic manner. Well, it, it really surprised me. It was pretty shocking to discover that so much of what's in our parenting toolbox and what's, um, what's available to us in the medical community, both around pregnancy, birth, and, and later on um, parenting, is not necessarily aligned with what is evolutionarily or physiologically or developmentally normal. Mm -hmm. Some of that comes up in our prenatal yoga classes as, as the instructors give us hints about what might be, what might come, what might be offered from our care providers. And then all, the rest you are left to discover as you experience it. Um, so 
So like most parents of all stripes, I've perfected the nod and smile response <laughs> now that I'm more confident in, in my own approach. But at the beginning, it really throws you off, especially if you're someone who has um, a yen for evidence-based, for maybe for a trust in authority, medical authority or other. Um, it's if It can feel a little bit, you can feel a little lost when you have to navigate for yourself this deluge of information and sort out what might be appropriate and not appropriate based on your values, based on what evidence aligns with what you're interested in. So did you use the same care provider for all three births or did, well, let's just start with that. Sure. Um, we actually had a different provider for the first birth and for the second two. And I had a last minute panic with the first and tried to switch to the practice I ultimately used for the second two quite late. Everyone tells you, my doula told me, everyone says, you, you have plenty of time. You can switch whenever you need. <laughs> that's not no, true. No, that's actually not um, true. <laughs> definitely not true. Not 23 weeks is kind of the cutoff um, yeah. to switch. All right. So but what was it about, was it that you were learning more about your desire for what you forced, what you want to see in your birth that led you to the desire to switch? Definitely. And that's something that I, I now advise all of my, my girlfriends when they come to me and ask, you know, when should I start taking prenatals before trying to conceive? And the first thing I say is if you have an OB that you like for, as an OB now, uh, that might not necessarily be the OB or care provider that you want for your birth. So it, you want to start to do some research and think ahead about what you might need um, we actually explored and tried to go down the home birth route for the second and third births, but at the time it wasn't covered by our insurance, and so it would have been an out-of-pocket expense here. And we had interviewed home birth midwives and lined that all up um, and uh, and done the insurance appeal, but it didn't didn't work out that way. And I'm and I'm happy actually because I think that we had um, you know quite successful outcomes considering now that we know the way that I birth, which is growing <laughs> transverse babies, um, <laughs> that it would have pretty much ruled out a, a home birth or at least yeah. made us very nervous until the very last second because, um, well, I'll tell you, I guess maybe I'll tell you a little bit about my sure. pregnancy yeah. first. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my pregnancies were virtually identical, um, in that I've had, I've been very, very fortunate to have easy pregnancies hardly no sicknesses or other complaints until well into the third trimester. Um, I had brief bouts of sciatica and sacroiliac and pubic symphysis, like many people, but all of that passed quickly with yoga and Epsom salt baths. So really nothing was, nothing was wrong. Um, and I, and I enjoyed being pregnant a lot. I think I'm one of the few. <laughs> um, it made me feel empowered and magical at the same time. Um, but I also felt guilty for not feeling more connection with my babies as fetuses. They just seemed like an extension of my own body. So I think that's another thing that I would say as a takeaway, the contrast of feeling strong yet weak, responsible yet guilty. That's just that starts in pregnancy and prepares you for motherhood all the way through. Oh, no kidding. The guilt. Oh my gosh. I feel like I have that on a daily basis. I literally was just putting something in my daughter's room and I had this pang of guilt. I'm like, oh, she sometimes gets the shaft. Like she's so kind and patient and my son is so the opposite way. So because of that, he sometimes gets more attention. The guilt, the guilt yeah. starts, starts at conception. Yes. So you already mentioned it, but the most noteworthy commonality in my pregnancies was that all three were transverse breach until full term, um, which means basically horizontal lie. 
um, which is the worst kind of breach because even if you find a care provider who will support a breach vaginal birth, there's literally no way a baby can come out horizontally. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. So what was that like for you, I guess, the first time compared to the third time? By the third time, I mean... (laughs) You're like, here we are. But the first time, did it just, was it really overwhelming because you had a certain vision of what your birth would be like? (laughs) At first, it was uneventful because like changing care providers, everyone around me, my care provider, my doula, my yoga instructors kept saying, it's still early. You still have time. The baby can flip. And then all of a sudden you don't have time. (laughs) (laughs) Um there, there was so much great information about breach positioning given in one of your recent podcasts by Nicole Morales. So yeah. I hope your listeners will tune into that. Um, but she didn't talk much about transverse breach, which is, I guess, more rare. Um, and then having three in a row is like winning the lottery. <laughs> um, in terms of how I felt about it, this is really frivolous, but I, I felt self-conscious about having a lumpy belly with a head sticking out on one side. And I was jealous of all the basketball bellies I saw at yoga. And I know that's ridiculous because no, all bodies, not. pregnant or not, come in all shapes, but it was But not it doesn't good mean that you don't want your bump to look like others. I mean, mm-hmm. I, that's one thing I really want people, you know, I'm glad you actually said that is because we're always self-conscious about things. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, in the big picture, the most important thing, I was really in denial about the possibility of having a cesarean. And I threw myself at all of the methods to promote optimal fetal positioning. I don't know if, if that, if I can take credit for that, you know, success in that I have had three transverse full-term babies who ultimately flipped on their own or were with my encouragement. (laughs) Well, Um, I think the last one you kind of was holding it down. Yeah, well, the, yeah, we cut it close. We really cut it close successively. So I was already doing yoga, all, you know, it, when it was at the prenatal yoga center, and my instructors were wonderful about giving modifications. Um, and I started doing all the recommendations of spinning babies from the spinning babies website, lying head down on an inclined ironing board in my from my sofa in my living room. <laughs> it's fun. Um, sitting on heating pads, flashlights, and headphones in, in your underwear <laughs> so to encourage the, the baby's head to go down, doing the mild circuit exercises. Um, and I booked the appointment for the ECV, the external cephalic version, um, with my first. And my care provider also told us to talk to the baby and ask him to turn himself, which seemed patently absurd, but we had nothing to lose. <laughs> and he actually turned head down on his own the morning of the ECV appointment. Oh, wow. So we didn't do an ECV the first time. That was at 37 weeks. Um, so I don't know if he was just on his own timetable and would have flipped at that point anyway, or if all of our efforts paid off. Did um, you have a cesarean 
booked or were you waiting for the ECV? We were waiting for the ECV. And actually the same goes for my other pregnancies, even though the babies were much later. I had care providers who were um, supportive in my denial, I guess, who were hopeful to support me and that we were um, we still had a, a chance to aim for a vaginal birth and we didn't book the cesarean. Um, I, I mean, we had read that women would be, um, at increased risk of breach recurrence after a, a previous breach presentation. So we weren't too surprised when it came about the second and third times. And I had a lot of fluids, which is encouraging of baby to move. Um, but still the, the risk of cesarean seemed even greater to me because I had a toddler at home at that point, so and later too, so I didn't want. I really wanted to, of course, avoid that. Um, so, in addition to everything else, the yoga and the spinning babies. With the second baby, I also started seeing a chiropractor to do the Webster technique mm-hmm. and acupuncture and moxibustion. Which, if anyone doesn't know what that is, it sounds really crazy. It's burning insects between your toes. <laughs> so, okay. Um, anyway, so like I said was willing to try some holistic practices I might not have otherwise. All Doing all of that multiple times a week, it was a pretty exhausting routine. And I did have an ECV for the second baby at week 38. It was a successful ECV. And then she flipped back. <laughs> so it was unsuccessful. How was we did that? Another did it feel, two, we did another two ECVs. And, did it feel defeating? Or like at any point where you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I think I, until she was down, down, I was, I was not done. It wasn't over till it's over. Okay. No, I like your optimism. <laughs> so we had, so finally she stayed held, head down at 39. So we were, I felt she was cutting it, cutting it close. Um, and both of those first two babies came on their due dates. So from 37 to 39 weeks, uh, difference between their, between their head down positioning, um, until their due date at 40, I had a little bit of, time to catch my breath and be like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> the third baby though was even more flippy. And we learned that that's called an unstable lie. Interesting. Um, I hadn't heard that. This is great. And I had, and I had actually, um, I took a break from doing all of those efforts, though, no stinky moxie, not moxibustion that time. Um, because I had been told my uterus was soft and spacious <laughs> and that she was going to turn when she was ready. Um, I hope that was my mentality. My care provider did manual versions in the exam room every time I had an appointment, including at 40 weeks. (laughs) So I didn't have an ECV per se in the hospital one where they give you a muscle relaxant injection to your uterus because my uterus was already super relaxed. Um, and the, and the OB was able to move her, um, manually, um, basically a a non-hospital ECV, um, weekly and actually bi-weekly at the end, just encouraging her as often as possible. And as you've mentioned in the past, I was literally holding her head in place at, at yoga. You were <laughs> squatting. You were literally just like, I'm opening this pelvis and holding this baby there. I mean, because when they're very high, that's the other thing, until they're engaged, there's no reason for them to stay head down if there's a lot of fluid and a soft uterus. They'll just keep floating. So until they engage, there's, you know, we had it, we were really risking up until um, labor. We were waiting basically for water to break to push her downwards. (laughs) Did you ever have a conversation with your your husband or or the care provider or both Mm -hmm. or doula about if you had to have cesarean the terms you wanted it on, like if you could make it what's called family friendly or. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) 
I mean, beside, beside, despite my denial, my husband and I approached birth and parenting the way that we did anything else, making lots of lists and doing lots of research. So we had taken our, our two-day Lamaze class at the hospital. We had read books about these things. We had self-studied the Bradley method um, for, for total relaxation, which seemed really goofy. Like, how could total relaxation be possible during labor compared to what you see in the movies? Um, my husband mocked me as we were practicing meditations. He would add in his own ad-libs, like, relax your eyelashes, relax your fingernails. Um, but his favorite book was The Birth Partner by Penny Simkin. Oh, Penny Simkin, I love that And that's that the book. one book that he brought with us to the hospital all three times because it would be his reference book to flip back to. Good. Um, we had doulas with us all three times, even though... Um, I feel that we, we didn't get a lot of value from having the doulas because he was very hands-on and our situation was, was unique enough. Um, but I'm still glad we had the doulas. So that's a plug for doulas because you never know what could arise. And I wanted to make sure that just in case we would have an extra, you know, support with us. And, and anyway, having an extra set of hands didn't hurt. Mm -hmm. So with, with the support of our doulas, we wrote our, our, my birth preferences, um, and uh, which used to be called a birth plan, but now I understand it. We call them birth preferences. Birth preferences because nothing goes according to plan. <laughs> and so in the birth preferences, um, I listed, of course, that in the, in the event of a cesarean, I would want, um, in certain terms, like family-friendly cesarean, I would want my husband shirtless so baby could immediately go to skin to skin with him, things like that. So were the actual um, births any different? So interestingly enough, my first... Two births were basically identical, <laughs> like my like the pregnancies. Um, the water broke, but labor didn't start, and I had pitocin inductions and vaginal deliveries on their exact due dates, with less than ten minutes of pushing. Pretty much the same birth story. Fortunately, my care providers understood and supported my birth preferences, and I was able to wait a relatively long time before being induced, because when water breaks without labor. You do need induction in, in New York City, at least, depending on the hospital and the care provider. That tends to happen relatively quickly. Um, in, in other countries and settings, it might be even a number of days, not hours, that you can wait safely uh, before starting induction. Um, with baby number two, the induction did happen a little bit sooner because there was meconium in the waters. Um, and because of this situation, I was excluded from the possibility of using the birthing center in the hospital. So it was a regular LND birth. Um, funny thing, the second induction took longer than the first, which we didn't expect because popular wisdom says second babies fly out. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> um, one, one pro, you know, I was a little bit, it wasn't going according to plan, but one perk was that because broken waters means an increased risk of infection, um, from, you know, people sticking things in there. I was able to decline most of the hospital staff's offers to check my cervix dilation. So I only had a couple of checks, and I was left more or less alone to labor with my husband and my doula. Um, and when I did have checks, I was I asked them not to tell me the results. Oh, that's very smart, because it can really create a lot of anxiety. Well, let me ask you, why did you ask for them not to tell you? I wanted to be able to listen to my body. I was hoping that through what I had prepared, what I had been practicing at, at, at in yoga class, that I would be able to listen to my body and know more or less how far along I was, um, you know, with the, with the dilation and the contractions increasing in, 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 in impact in, um, and, 
and eventually moving towards transition, I thought I would be able to notice all of these things. But let me tell you, those Pitocin contractions are not like the mock contractions we practice in yoga. <laughs> no, no. I actually, I, I had a student ask me that. She's like, is this what a contraction feels? I'm like, not at all. No, you don't contract in your quads. It's more of a whole body experience. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, I mean, the Pitocin ones at least are also, they feel jagged, at least for me, my personal experience. They, they didn't feel like they had a clearly def, defined peak um, or a gradual crescendo, and, you know, like oh, I was expecting. That was they, a, it felt a, like they start and then they plateau and then they end. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't really like climbing a mountain and climbing down again. That was how I visualized it in my head at yoga at least. Yeah. Yeah. And another surprise was I felt the tightening of each contraction at the back of my uterus basically at the top of my rectum hmm. and not like a corset tightening around my core, which I had, which is the way it's explained in yoga. No, the, so the I, corset's more about your transverse <laughs> abdominals. So thank you for pointing that out that clearly we're not clear enough about it. Yeah. So the uterus contracts from the bottom up mm. and then mm. gets thicker at the top and kind of like a plunger or like a piston mm. pushes mm. down. So thanks for pointing out that we need to be more clear that the corset's your transverse abdominals. Mm. Mm. So, so it was, you know, it's, it's interesting to have, you know, a different experience than what you envision, mm-hmm. um, and your physical sensations. All of that said, um, despite the inductions, I actually did have a really magical couple of hours of complete relaxation in late stage labor with both of these Pitocin induced, um, labors. I was lying as still as possible in the dark, chanting mantras silently in my head breathing in the doula's lavender oil and holding my husband's hand. I never would have thought that was possible, but <laughs> all of that kind of the calm before the storm was really, um, really special. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful to have had that. Those were, were you my first using the, um, <laughs> we can talk about the second, the third minute. Were you using, um, first of all, I'm really impressed that you did the Bradley on your own. Cause that's pretty intense. Um, and usually like a 12 week program. So that's amazing. Did right. you use some Well, it's of, not something you can just read the book. We did our homework. We definitely, yeah. um, we definitely trained for it, Did you but utilize I, I, and I would have that? liked to have done the program. Did you use those uh, during, during this that magical, time? Yeah. magical couple of hours? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's like, um, I think there are some elements of this that we did practice in, in at the prenatal yoga center where you really try to just isolate the one area that's working mm-hmm. and let the rest of your body melt. Mm-hmm. That was what I, that's the vision I was using, um, so that you're not you're not straining any more than you have to. There. Yeah. Yeah. Don't use. Don't add tension that you don't mm-hmm. need to. Your, your body's working hard so, enough. So with my husband joking about relax your eyelashes and all that, I mean, it, it that actually was sort of useful. <laughs> you really have to think about relaxing everything, everything. So those are your first two. So <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about your third. <laughs> well, you know, even though you know to think that every baby and every birth is different, it's hard not to get expectations around things, especially if the first two are very similar. Seems like a pattern. <laughs> um, and, and I felt I knew my body better. I thought this is the way I labor, the way I birth. Um, it, one, one, one thing that, I mean, it was very humbling, um, but also reassuring to know that even in a medical environment and being monitored, because when you're induced, you have monitors hooked up to you and you have tubes in you and, um, even all of that, it wouldn't necessarily detract from feeling in sync with my body and my baby during my labor. Um, so, and maybe that was just 
the unique situation of having this wonderful care providing team and, and hospital staff that I had. And it was just a lucky, you know, lucky draw. <clears throat> or maybe it's just making the best of the situation. Um, so, so going into the third, knowing that even, <laughs> even though there was a lot of risk of moving because of the unstable lie and we didn't know what, what it would bring that hopefully, um, we would still be able to have something close to the ambiance that we, that I had hoped for. Mm -hmm. So the third baby, she did stay third head down finally after 40 weeks after her due date, <laughs> but she was still very high. I wasn't waddling at all. It was walking normally, which is worrisome when you're post-term. <laughs> um, it really felt like my last chance. I, I was doing yoga and acupressure and acupuncture and eating spicy foods and climbing all the 23 flights of stairs in my building <laughs> at that oh point, God. really <laughs> anything I could, you name it. Um, it felt like my last chance to experience real labor, self-induced labor. <laughs> um, and fortunately she cooperated finally 10 days past my due date and during which time she did stay head down, but super high. Um, water broke and contractions began immediately after, but they came much too fast, too soon. Basically the second water broke, I was already starting to struggle. We rushed to the hospital as opposed to the vision I'd had of leisurely laboring at home. <laughs> um, although I will say right before I left, there was some, I felt I was on the floor. I didn't even notice my, my kids had come in. It was, this was in the morning. We were waiting for the nanny to arrive so we could leave the kids the kids had come in and, and one kid climbed on my back. I was in child's pose on the floor. Um, and she was sitting on my lower back and that lying over felt me. Great. It felt great. I was like, <laughs> don't you move. This is perfect. Counter pressure. And my older child who had, who had, yes, it was exactly, I was like, you're doing, you're my perfect doula. My older child who had been practicing a little bit of yoga at home on and off with me throughout the pregnancy was very eager to put his knowledge to use. And he said, do you want to do some cat cows? Like yes, I do. <laughs> so they they um you know share your knowledge when when they say at yoga go home and teach your partners this teach everyone <laughs> everyone who might be around when you're in labor. Um, so that was it was a sweet moment with my kids before things got real. <laughs> um, and that's nice because they'll the, remember the that too. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And and they didn't they didn't uh, they didn't see the later part. <laughs> That's also good. I'm, that's another thing. That's another reason I was relieved not to have actually um, gone oh, through birth. it. Not, not that there's anything wrong with it, and there may be situations when it works out nicely, but I had a vision that it would be this harmonious, you know, hippie <laughs> experience with everyone present, the kids and everything. And given the way the labor played out, I'm glad that we didn't have that because the contractions were really one on top of another from the start, and I felt so out of control. And I was embarrassed and disappointed with myself that I wasn't putting my basically cumulative five years of childbirth preparation to use. I was, I was not handling, I wasn't coping. I had gone from zero to eight centimeters super quickly. Um, so when we got to the hospital, I got a just in time epidural before my doula or even my OB arrived at the hospital. It was that quickly. Um, I turned off the epidural after an hour once I was dilated. Um, but I didn't feel any pressure and my care provider was supportive of waiting I'm so glad I wasn't pushing for hours and hours without the urge because I'm, I'm told that that happens often, directed pushing. Mm -hmm. um, so I was dilated for over two hours um, with the epidural off, and I sent everyone out of the room. <laughs> um, and so I finally felt the urge to push. I called people back in. Baby came out after a few minutes. 
like her siblings. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was fabulous. And th- that, those two hours of feeling the pressure and, um, you know, the discomfort and then feeling, feeling everything during pushing, I felt, um, like it was really, it was really mine. So I had, I had, it was not how I envisioned, but I did have a non-induced birth. <laughs> I was able to feel everything happening, um, during the delivery. Um, one thing very different, um, is that this baby was 50% larger than her siblings, which is common. Most well, she of was also post She was post-date, but she was still, quote-unquote, very large for a gestational age. <laughs> but it, that makes her unstable lie even more surprising. So don't let anyone tell you that a baby is too big to flip. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's a good takeaway. <laughs> so how did you, when you were feeling that out of control, um, how did you surrender to that experience to keep moving forward? You mean besides getting an epidural? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you still had to get to that point. <laughs> and I even at the very, sorry, I'm sorry, Deb, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, cause even while you're getting the epidural, you have to stay still when it's greatly yeah. uncomfortable. So something, you must've found something as your through line. Yeah, I, I will say when you, I mean, and, and I think you do mention this in to most students, um, and people will, will know this if they've taken childbirth classes, but it's something that you might not, you might not know to expect if you don't study it, um, that there's a lot to do when you get to the hospital. So we flew through triage because I was already in very active labor. I was post-term and had an unstable lie with meconium in the water. I had all the code words to let me go very quickly through, (laughs) through triage. Um, they, um, but, but a lot of people might not. So you, you may have maybe spending a lot of time in triage. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, even, even once you get to your, to your room, it takes time to set things up. And I found the hospital staff, at least before we got the nurse who was assigned to my L and D room are, are, they're occupied with getting you prepped for your experience. Um, and they, the nurses were, I remember the nurses were kind of shouting at me, like, you got to work with me, mama. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got to stay still so they can get your needles in. And, and I'm like, and I was think, and I yelled back, I think, I think I'm not exactly, it's, it's kind of fuzzy, but I yelled back like, you've got to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> it, I, I was, I was feeling like I wasn't catching my breath. Um, and I, and I, and I, I, I said, I was embarrassed and disappointed at myself. I was in the moment I was saying to my husband, I'm not doing a good job. That <laughs> um, I, I knew that I was supposed to be trying to relax as much as possible, both during and in between, but there was really no in-betweens. Um, and, um, I, I was really, a, like you said, especially when you have to stay very still during the epidural itself, you have to really, if you move, you're in, you're in trouble. Um, just putting all of your thought to what is, to what needs to tighten and what needs to contract. And then all of your thought into what has to expand and release. There is some, some phrases that you always use in, in yoga that I was trying to repeat to myself, um, well in the situation. <clears throat> I'm glad those are helpful, but I'm also glad that, and I appreciate that you highlighted a few things, um, that how different the births were and some births, and it's interesting because you're the same person that had these very different births. Some births <laughs> can really have, you know, that quiet, um, 
experience mm. like you described with the Bradley stuff. And then some are kind of wet and wild. And I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and there's a reason that, it, you know, transition is just kind of this, in my mind, kind of like this fast and furious. It's like, I always describe it when I teach childbirth that like a slingshot, like, bam, here we go. It's mm. just, mm. you know, and there is an element where we get away from the thinking mind into that, um, I don't want to use the word animalistic, but kind of like a deeper innate mama bear, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that you're, you're, it's, you're not even thinking the body can just move. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you brought that up, that it was, you know, it was different. And also for listeners out there, um, you, you never have to be like a, 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 a model patient, <laughs> like or a model birthing person, like being you, because that's what you're going to do also as a parent. So thank you for sharing that, especially being vulnerable yeah. enough to share that you felt disappointed. Um, you did a great job. You may have, I hear that you feel disappointed, but I'm really, it's amazing that you let yourself just go with what was happening. Yeah, something I forgot to mention that Caprice are one of the star prenatal yoga centers um, uh, instructors. She would want me to mention this is that you, um, besides not knowing how you're going to react in the moment, you don't know what's going to bring you comfort. Mm-hmm. So you prepare, you can prepare a lot. You can think ahead, like during the mock contractions during class. And then in the moment that, that might be what works. It might not. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had a playlist prepared before my first birth that was, um, borrowed from Caprice's, um, class playlist. Thank you, Caprice. And, um, and in the moment, um, of course, my doula and husband, following my instructions, turned on the turned on the playlist, and I was like, "Nope, nope, nope, <laughs> turn that off." <laughs> I needed silence, um, and I think, and I needed silence through all three of them. Um, the third time, I don't think I needed silence as much because I was really in my own cloud. <laughs> I, I could not have told you what was going on around <laughs> us, um, but there was no 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 music in the world that would have. <laughs> contributed to my coping during that third one. <laughs> yeah. You never know what's going to work. I remember having mm-hmm. a doula client. This is so early in my uh, doula experience. And she's like, I love massage. And she told me she wanted specific um, oils. And I was such a new doula. I'm like, you bet. And I went out and got it. And I was like, all ready. And, you know, so excited to support <laughs> her. And all she ended up doing is she was in the bathroom straddling the toilet. I was on one side, her husband on the other side. She didn't want a single hand touching her. She didn't want oh. anyone even talking to her she just wanted mm-hmm. two people right there that's it mm-hmm. so like, yeah, you never know and and it's great just to be open to what erupts in your mind and body of what you need so thank you for bringing that up yeah positioning like you mentioned just now with my first two I mean granted they were they were pitocin induced contractions but we had and they were very similar labors I basically stayed in the same position sitting on a on a birth ball leaning forward with my elbows uh, crossed against the bed and um, husband or doula on a stool behind me with counter pressure on my low back. And I pretty much didn't move for like 12 hours. Not joking. (laughs) Um, For both of those labors. With the third one, I couldn't handle anyone touching me at all. My husband jumped in. He was was prepped to, to pick up where he left off with the previous previous labors. And I was like, mm. <laughs> I mean, at that point it was really, I was just pretty much in child's pose. I was in child's pose at home. I was in child's pose in the taxi and child's pose on the triage bed. <laughs> just don't talk to me. Don't touch me. 
leave me alone. There was just letting it, it was just flowing over me. (laughs) And that's what this baby needed. This is, you know, you said your baby was bigger and this is clearly what your baby, how your baby needed to be born. It was a different Mm -hmm. experience and a different Mm -hmm. shape body. And, and your babe was telling you like, (laughs) this is how we need. Oh, that's so amazing. I want one one more comment on positioning and how amazing my care, care team was, was that when I did feel the pressure to push, my OB, I think she just knows me by now too. She, um, she said right away, do you want to push on your side? (laughs) It was her first offer before I, before it's not like we had a obstructed, um, situation or anything else. And we were trying to mix it up. She just, I think she knew that I thought this might be my last chance (laughs) to have as, you know, having, having not been able to go through with a home birth, having not been able to go through with, with non-epidural, all of (laughs) she just jumped right away. So I was like, yeah, let's do it (laughs) with an epidural. You can't squat. So, um, so side would have been the most interesting option. Um, and I tried for a second and I was like, you know, nah. (laughs) So I went back where I was, but we did. So I was on my back, but we had the bed all the way elevated more than 45 degrees. So I was really in quite of a V V shaped. Uh And I kept saying during my few pushes, um, I thought I was like going to be sitting on the baby as she came out. <laughs> I was, I was quite upright. Um, so given, given the situation, I was in a, I would say non mainstream, non, non-traditional, well, very traditional, non, non, uh, Western medicine situation, um, positioning for the pushing. Well, you got some gravity working with you and she yeah, was a big exactly. baby. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'd love to shift a little. First of all, thank you for sharing your birth stories. And also, I really appreciate that you opened up and talked about what you're disappointed in. Cause I think people can learn from that and it, and I'm hoping it helps, helps you as well to, to kind of mm-hmm. say it. Um, what about postpartum? Let's talk a little bit about your postpartum experiences, how three <laughs> babies, handling because they're not you know you don't have like an eight or a ten year like you know you have small little people at home so <laughs> let's shift a little bit to what's postpartum been like well once again I've been super fortunate in this area my recoveries physically have been physically and emotionally have been very smooth um I was up and about really soon after each baby yeah you came um, to the studio's party at 10 days postpartum <laughs> What are you it, doing might, here? it might have even been less. We walked home from the hospital at 24 hours, oh um, both um, after <laughs> after all the babies. Um, and uh, I had my share of tearful days, but I think staying active and social helped so so much. Um, I had my doula postpartum visits. I had an involved partner who himself was able to take sufficient parental leave. Um, after my first baby, I didn't need this after the other two, but I did take advantage of the insurance covered lactation consultants. I went to breastfeeding support circles. As soon as it was clear to exercise, I dove into postnatal classes. Um, I kept in touch with all of the other new moms that I had met at prenatal yoga center. I told you before, Deb, but I have my WhatsApp groups with my PYC 2014, 2016, and 2019 mom groups. That has meant so, so much. Um, in terms of having other kids at home for the subsequent births, um, a really big part of um, part of the, I think, what has eased the transition for me, and this is not for everyone, of course, but for me, was that we really tried to make sure that the older kids haven't felt displaced. And so that meant that um, we continued our sleeping arrangements, feeding arrangements. Our pediatrician had advised, don't make any changes 
within six months around the birth, three months before and three months after. No changes to anything in the kid's life to what you can, you know, to what you can control. Um, That's great. So advice. for some people, that might mean not potty training at that time, not taking away the passive hair at that time. Whatever it is that's working for your kid, just stick with it. For us, that meant bed sharing and breastfeeding continued. So I was tandem nursing, and I'm tandem nursing, um, and uh, and just as much as possible trying to have. Everyone says one on one time with the older kids. I don't do one on one time because the baby is glued to me <laughs> um, all the time. But having as much contact and um, um, both physical contact. Skin to skin is not just for the baby, but also for the olders. Um, and having, you know, quote unquote quality time, which doesn't just mean making beautiful photographable memories, but also means bath times and, you know, whatever is part of your, your daily routines together to the extent that you can. And like I said, I, I know how, how privileged I am um, to be able to have had the easy recoveries that I did and I was able to jump back into parenting my older. Some people wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have that luxury. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was a combination of, um, intentional and, and luck. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm really glad. I'm really glad to hear that. So let's talk a little bit, big topic. How has motherhood changed you? (laughs) Hmm. How has it not? Well, okay. I thought I would have been a very scheduled, I'm the boss parent. I thought the baby would sleep in the bassinet next to my bed for six months and then in a crib in another room and they'd be sleeping 12 hours by 12 weeks and all of those other. (laughs) Sorry, I Um, laughed just because it took us a very long, well over a year to hit that. The 12 right. hour mark. So I don't mean to laugh. I just more laugh at my own. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> that, that flew out the window. And obviously there are some people for whom that works. Yes. And for us, we learned that sometimes the lazy way or the path of least resistance can be the right way, at least for us. And so that meant child led sleep and feeding, waiting out for most behaviors to peter out on their own or more accurately evolve into some new behaviors. <laughs> um, I feel a lot more feminist. I think through the um, birth preparation, childbirth preparation and birthing uh, experience, and then also in, in parenting all of this mommy wars business, is, you know. <laughs> Talk about that. Um, That's really interesting. Can you, can you expand on that? You know, it, we, we, we wind up dividing ourselves into all these quibbles over a breast or a bottle or how long is an appropriate maternity leave or you know, sitting up the bumbo seat or the, this, or the starting solids of format, you know, instead of really focusing on the societal and structural supports that we could provide to new mothers and families, um, to enable them to provide what is best for the, for their children. Um, so I think, and I think once you have a child, um, and you, you see, again, the world fresh through their eyes, and it gives you a renewed optimism about things and how the way things should be. Um, I, I, I don't know. For me, it, for me, it was a feminist transition. But at the same time, my world shrunk. At this stage of my life, my sphere of interests is very narrow, like a self-preservation thing. I think that, that will stay that way until I'm a little less sleep-deprived. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not as activist as I would have thought I would be. Um, we, we still take our kids to marches and, <laughs> and things when we can. Um, but I, I would say I'm a, I'm a latent activist at the moment. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, 
I know. I think it also depends on your family and your kids. Like, my son's not always the best behaved. He definitely has some sensory stuff if he's in a big crowd and overexcited. So as much as I, I've been sad, I feel like I've missed learning opportunities to, you know, for mm. them. I also realize that if we're full, if we're filled with stress about the experience and it's not, it's not serving, it's not going to happen. So sometimes I, I hear what you're saying, like, maybe not jumping in and the world getting smaller. And, and I think that it doesn't mean that we don't support those things. It's just sometimes, um, I guess what I tell myself, like I'm, sometimes I'm survival mode. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, and there's lots of ways to demonstrate to our children, our values. Yes. A, a march is like a birthday party. It's just a, a big event and a, you know, what's one more face in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I think, you know, showing in our, in our day-to-day lives or showing in, in when we go out of our way to do something for others or mm-hmm. modeling our own behavior. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to come across like the perfect parent because that is not the case. Um, but these are things I strive towards. I, yeah, I agree. And it's good to hear. So, um, is there anything that really surprised you about parenting? <laughs> um, how all of the scary or cliche things that anyone has ever said about parenting are actually true. <laughs> Is there something particular you have but, in mind? But in the context of how much you love your kid, it's all palatable or, you know, un- understandable. So <laughs> it all, it all seems worthwhile. Um, you know, we, we've also said it at the beginning, this intense worry. We, I had um, a subchorionic hematoma and SCH um, at the very beginning of my first pregnancy, um, which means bleeding during pregnancy. Um, and that, and this was following two miscarriages. So it it really looked like it was about to be a third miscarriage. Um, and that's scary. And I, I called my mom and I said, I just so worried that this little seed, this little plant is going to stick and it's going to survive. And she said, yeah, that's not going away anytime soon. (laughs) That worry only gets, that's, you're going to carry that with you forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, I think I never really liked <clears throat> other people's children. No offense to all the other people's children I met before. Um, you know, when they are like kind of snotty or loud or I don't mean snotty behavior. I mean like actually snotty <laughs> 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 or, you know, loud or, or whatever. You, you just look at other people's children and you're like, Ugh. but then when it's your child doing all those same things, you're like, oh, <laughs> it's this really primal, um, connection, um, feeling of responsibility for them. And, um, one, one thing I would say about having subsequent, um, children is there, you know, a little bit of that, that miracle is gone. The miracle of the first smile, the first sneeze, the first yawn, every, you know, (laughs) these first things when you see in your first, and that continues all throughout the first time they read a word on their own or whatever. Um, the little bit of that miraculousness is gone in the second and third. It's still special. I'm still taking tons of pictures and, you know, cooing over them. But it, but that very, that, that thing that happened in the first child that is what makes you a mother. I miss that. I do miss that in having my subsequent kids. On the other side, you have, you have the beauty of watching their sibling interactions unfold and blossom for better and for worse. So this is, this is super cliche as well, but you know, the gift of giving your child a sibling is like uncomparable. (laughs) 
I love when my kids play nicely. Sometimes if I see them in the playroom and I'm in the kitchen, I don't even want to turn the corner and break the bubble. And I just, those are some of my happiest moments that I'm like, they're, it's just going so well. Happy for so many reasons. One, they're behaving and happy. Um, two, and just the, not they're, killing they're, each other. Not killing. Yeah. So it's that they're happy and behaving and not killing each other. So those are good reasons. Uh, I have, you know, it's quiet in the house then, but just the the relationship that they they're bonding. So, I, yeah, mm. the giving each other almost like their best friend. So let's take a quick break and we come back. I'm going to ask you for a tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents. We'll take a momentary break and be right back. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. And we're back. All right. So you've been through this now three times, different pregnancies, different (laughs) births, different children. So I feel like you're a seasoned parent on this. <laughs> Do you have a tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer? Hmm. Well, uh, every parent recommends the tricks or equipment, dietary changes, a particular bouncer, a specific pacifier, whatever it is that they swear by because that's what worked for them, right? And the same is true for evidence. I feel like you'll find some reference to support pretty much anything you go looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really impossible to emphasize, to overemphasize that every baby is different. And you'd have to sample a lot of methods until you find your thing. Um, so in our my my one takeaway from me was was do your research, but also keep an open mind. And because parenting is at least as much an art as a science, that was a, that was a surprise for me. Um, the I trust my body, I trust my baby mantra that mm-hmm. I heard often at the prenatal yoga center was useful for me in pregnancy to cope with the stress of the breech presentation. I was trusting my body and my baby to to develop, to progress in the ways that needed to happen. It was useful during labor, of course, um, and in postpartum, as you and baby are both getting the hang of your n- new form of symbiosis. Um, but I think it also was, this continues to be useful in parenting. It's what allowed me later on to embrace a parenting style built on trusting my baby's development, trusting my body's recovery, trusting my body's reactions, emotional or otherwise, to my children's behavior, respecting my children's communications long before they can talk, what they're trying to convey, asking their permission to pick them up, you know, and, and the way that that can carry forward into your relationship with your child as they grow. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my, my oldest is is not yet five, so we're still only at the very tip of the iceberg of this whole parenting journey in the grand scheme of things. But I hope I can hold on to that feeling of trust and that mantra. <laughs> That's a respect. You're creating a respect with each other. Mm-hmm. I like that. Thank you so much for sharing your journeys your experiences, your ups, your downs, your advice, really, and and really your presence at the studio. 
it's always, always a joy to have you come in. Even when I remember the couple times you were grumpy, <laughs> you still were smiling. That's why I'm like, I got to talk to this lady some more. You're pretty, you're a very special person. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for having me part of the community. I'm not going anywhere, Deb, at least not as long as this maternity leave lasts. I'll be at postnatal and baby and me. (laughs) You know, we actually had a student that her son was 11 years old when she finally stopped coming. I love that. I actually think you're saying is I don't, I don't need to have another baby. You don't need to ever. I mean, you're welcome. Of course, do what you got to do. But, um, yeah, she basically came until I, it took me like a couple of years to realize I'm like, Oh, she was, cause I knew how old her, she had three and her older one was in college. So I started together. So there was two older ones. And then the, the 11 year old, I'm like, Oh, she's hitting perimenopause. That's why she stopped coming. Because <laughs> she had asked me if I would do, if I'd consider doing that type of yoga. I'm like, that's just not my wheelhouse. I know nothing of it. And then it, when she stopped, I'm like, oh, that's why she stopped. So yes, you are welcome to come. <laughs> you are always postnatal. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing you in class. Thank you so much, Deb. And, and thanks for having me. You're welcome. Enjoy your morning. Bye. You too. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.